Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Am I excited about the 12th of December? Not particularly. The time for protest is over. It's time for leadership. And that is what this government provides. In every town and village in this country, Labour will be there giving a message of real hope where this government offers nothing. People have a very clear choice. If they want Brexit, they can vote for Labour or the Conservatives or the Brexit Party. And if they want to stop Brexit, they need to vote for the Liberal Democrats. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Now, nominations for election candidates close this afternoon, 4pm. Nigel Farage came out with his big line this morning. He loves the drama, doesn't he? Yes, he warned us that a big announcement was coming at 11am. Pound traders got excited. Sterling gained on speculation. But then the line that he actually came out with was that the Brexit party will fight Labour in all its seats. So the announcement was really... There is no announcement. There's right. nothing new. Disappointing. Quite Trumpian, though, isn't it? That whole, there's going to be a big thing. It's going to happen at this time. Get excited. And then it could be a total uh, non, non-event non like this one. Well, listen, I watched it live on the Brexit Party website. It wasn't carried by the big uh, TV stations here in the UK. He was speaking in Hull. Uh, look, delving into the lines, he said he had no great love of Conservatives. And he called it a disgrace that Brexit Party candidates are being told to stand down. So he talked a lot about abuse compared the, to the UK to Venezuela, you know, before Jeremy Corbyn had even been elected sort of thing. That was uh, one of his big lines. Yeah, well, I suppose he's got to stand by these candidates that he's now going to back. He's now going to travel around the country supporting, trying to get those into those seats, trying to get those leave voices in Westminster. We're going to talk about the knock-on effect of this for other parties with Chris Curtis from YouGov shortly. But first, let's update you with what's going on around the campaign trail today. You've got the Conservatives promising to reduce immigration to the UK after Brexit if they win the general election. Security Minister Brandon Lewis saying his party plans to reduce numbers and those are going to be outlined in the manifesto, which is due to be published, he says, fairly soon. We also want to get an immigration bill through that gives us that immigration system that's based on a points-based system for the entire world, so it's fair and equal with everybody. Again, to do that, we need a Conservative majority. Meanwhile, the Labour Party has vowed to close the gender pay gap by 2030 if they win the election. The difference between men's and women's average pay would take another 60 years to close under a Conservative government. That's according to Labour. Of course, uh, today is supposedly equal pay day. So from today, the gender pay gap means that women effectively work for free until the end of the year. This is a sort of Fawcett uh, Society initiative. Uh, you know, they've done the, the calculations. They're based on ONS figures, but it's basically from the 14th of November to the end of the year, we work for free because of the gender pay gap. Finally, the Liberal Democrats, also their uh, line this morning, they have a plan to tackle hate crimes by classing them 
all as aggravated offences. So uh, different news lines from the campaign trail today. All right, so plenty to think about. I like that idea of uh, of where gender is going to play into mm. this as well. Um, let's bring in Chris Curtis, political research manager at YouGov. You've talked a bit about demographics uh, and, and how this is all going to play out. Strong correlation between age and voting preference back in 2017. Is that something we might see holding up this time around? Yes, the data indicates that we're still seeing age as being one of the largest divides mm. um, in the country. It's got a little bit messier this time round, uh, mainly because we've moved away from two-party politics. So it's not just the case that the majority of young voters vote Labour and the majority of old voters vote Conservative anymore because there's lots more parties playing out. But broadly speaking, we're seeing that same trend where younger voters are sitting on the sort of left-wing side of the spectrum, Labour, the Greens, the Liberal Democrats, and older voters are saying they're much more likely to vote for the Brexit Party and the Conservatives. Um, and this is this is this is you know, this is what social social class used to be in terms of in terms of the dividing the way we divide up the the country demographically. Yeah, that is very interesting, isn't it? Um, class versus age, uh, and then also obviously Brexit, North South divide. Um, great stuff. Really good to speak to you. Do stay with us, uh, Chris Curtis, Political Research Manager at YouGov. We will come back to you for more on the polling side of things, uh, but I also want to bring in our guest this morning, Sammy Wilson, who is the Brexit spokesperson and parliamentary candidate for the DUP. Now, the Democratic Unionist Party, of course, led by Arlene Foster, has helped to prop up Conservative government since 2017. Ten votes on several occasions have saved Theresa May and Boris Johnson. But no surprise that the Northern Ireland Party feels deeply betrayed by the Brexit deal secured by Mr Johnson as it crosses their red lines. Very good morning to you, uh, Sammy Wilson. Good morning. Good morning. Have you been outmaneuvered? Your strategy with Boris Johnson has failed. Do you feel, I imagine, rather personally bitter given how much you trusted senior Conservatives? Well, I don't. I don't think we've been outmaneuvered. We always knew there was the potential uh, for the government to do the same as Theresa May did in desperation to get a deal, accepting almost any kind of deal. And of course, since Northern Ireland was one of the focal points that the EU had concentrated on in its discussions with the British government, we were always likely to be in the firing line. Mm. But rather than being outmaneuvered, I mean, we're having an election at the moment, simply because we used our votes in the House of Commons to stop the Prime Minister getting his deal through. Um, and out in frustration, uh, because he couldn't get the deal through and because we were able to stand in the way of the deal, um, he has now uh, moved towards a general election. A so, general Sally, election. what are you hoping for then in this election? Well, you know, I, I'm not so sure that this general election is going to give him the conclusive outcome that he was hoping to uh, obtain. Um, he's got lots of challenges in Scotland. There are 13 seats under threat. The Brexit party has made it quite clear that though they stood aside in Conservative seats, they will still challenge in Labour seats, and so they should. Um, uh, and the Liberal Democrats, of course, will be eating away at the Conservative vote and come to constituencies. So, you know, all of those things, uh, I'm not going to predict what the outcome of the election will be, but all of those things mean that we can have uh, another hung parliament. And if there's another hung parliament, we have made it quite clear that we will not be giving support to the Prime Minister's team. Uh-huh. going to have to get it changed. Okay, okay. so well. that's that's in the event of there being a hung parliament, but the polls don't seem to particularly suggest that at the moment. Obviously, they're very fluid and it's an incredibly difficult election to predict. But 
you know, if Mr Johnson and the Conservatives do manage to eke out a majority, even a thin one, would it make more sense for the DUP to actually feel closer to Dublin or even to Edinburgh rather than to London? Surely you cannot do another deal with the Tories. Well, first of all, we wouldn't be closer to Dublin. The whole point of opposing this deal is because it would drive us towards uh, closer relationships with Dublin and detaches from the rest of the United Kingdom. So that's one direction we're not going to go in, and we're certainly not going to go in the direction that the Scottish Nationalists would take us either, because they want to see the break up of the United Kingdom. We believe that the, the, there's a huge advantage for regions like Northern Ireland being part of the fifth biggest nation in the world, with the economic security that that gives us, with, of course, all of the historical context, of uh, our history and um, therefore we will look rather than to either look to go towards Dublin or go towards Nationals in Scotland we will look to recover um, the, 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 the whole Brexit project which was to leave the EU and for the United Kingdom as a whole to leave the EU. What, what if your party doesn't perform as well as you hope? Could that impact Arlene Foster's position as leader? No, it, it won't. Um, uh, first of all, uh, we're optimistic that we'll do very well in this election, uh, given the, the anger that there is within the unionist community and also the understanding in the unionist community as well that only by sending uh, back to Westminster the strongest possible DUP team that we have any chance of influencing the government, the influence in the last time because of the NMP and the votes were so vital in so many um, of the decisions that were made in Parliament. And that's the message of people. And I'm fully expecting that we will go back with a strong team after this election. OK, a, a strong team after the election. I, I'm sorry to any listeners um, you know, who are, who are struggling to hear over some of the wind noise, but I do want to carry on with this interview, Sammy, because we're so pleased to get you on air and it's really a crucial time to be speaking to you. Um, just lastly, what does success look like for the DUP in this election? Very briefly, Sammy, how many seats do you want? Well, I suppose we want to get, come back with as many as we had the last time, and if possible to gain some, uh, we we are likely to gain uh, the North Down seat from Sylvia Herman, who has stood down. We will have a struggle in a couple of other seats, but uh, we are hoping to go back with the same kind of team as we had the last time, and we are also hoping that, uh, given the arithmetic in Parliament, we will still uh, be able to exercise the influence that we need to be able to influence to persuade. Uh, the uh, Parliament that this deal needs changed. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
let's have a look at what else is making the news in the world of politics. What have you got, Caroline? Yeah, indeed. So this is the report from The Telegraph uh, about the Conservatives having offered an electoral pact pact to Farage uh, that would mean that the Brexit party would only target 40 seats. Obviously, that does not seem to have happened because Nigel Farage uh, just uh, earlier uh, saying that uh, he will contest uh, all the Labour Party seats. Uh, so, yeah, the Telegraph saying that uh, they would be the ones where Tories have done minimum campaigning, but the paper reports that the offer was turned down. CCHQ, the official line, we don't do electoral pact. That's the interesting thing. You keep hearing that from the Tories officially, mm. but these stories keep popping up in the yep. press so there's clearly something going on there even though we now know that it is going to be uh, just the Tory seats that they won't be contesting apparently uh, there's also this piece uh, from RTE the Irish broadcaster that Phil Hogan the European Commission who's going to take the lead in any future trade talks mm. uh, is speaking to them he says the talks could begin in early spring if the Tories win a majority and could be wrapped up more quickly than other negotiations around the world he gives a figure for those as uh, usually three to four years so it's a bit of a boost for Boris Johnson because mm. there's there are a lot of naysayers there's a lot of precedent really to say that this is going to be very difficult because of course remember we only get one extension um, yeah. after January 2021 so there's not a lot of time to get this sorted but the line here from him is we're not starting from zero so a little bit more optimistic than some others maybe. Yeah on the free trade agreement uh, meanwhile uh, the Tesla factory Elon Musk told Motoring Magazine uh, Auto Express that the UK was a candidate for its European research and manufacturing facilities but Brexit thwarted those plans because the uncertainty made it too risky to put a gigafactory here in the UK. So instead, of course, they made that, Elon Musk himself made that rather a big splash in Berlin at a glitzy event where he announced that the factory was going to be uh, in Germany. And there'd been a lot of tussling to get that business. Yeah, I feel like they're taking a leaf out of all my artsy friends' books who have just moved off to Berlin and now live in these wonderfully bohemian flats and doing unspeakable things in nightclubs. But let me show you this other story. Uh, Swinson wouldn't put Corbyn's number 10 is the gist of it. She said she'd sooner push the UK into another election than put the Labour leader into Downing Street if we get a hung parliament. Of course, she could again be a kingmaker as the Lib Dems were back in 2010. She spoke to the FT uh, and suggested that her party would either reject him or abstain if there was a confidence vote aimed at forming a, mon a minority Labour government. It raises the question, really, what other options are there? Because ultimately, there's going to be uh, either a Brexit or no Brexit. The Lib Dems, we know where they stand. Yeah. And another option would be siding with Boris Johnson, which just doesn't seem plausible. I, I feel like if, if there is some sort of middle road, maybe a confidence and supply agreement with Labour, just to get those numbers... I, I don't know if that's some sort of middle ground. Yeah, possibly. OK, well, let's uh, bring in Chris Curtis, who is political research manager at YouGov. Uh, so look, on this Joe Swinson story, uh, telling Bloomberg that Farage's pullback would benefit the Lib Dems because it makes them more appealing to One Nation Tory voters. And now on this programme yesterday, Alex Chalk of the Conservatives responded saying that there was a big group of One Nation Tories who supported Remain in 2016 but don't want to overturn the results. Result. Where do you come down in this argument? <laughs> uh, I think I probably agree to a certain extent with both of the above. So there oh, are some okay. conservative Remainers who now say they want to remain in the European Union. Um, and actually, there's some. Uh, sorry, there's also some who you're 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 correct, and Alex Chalk was correct in saying have changed their mind. Mm. What Joe Swinson's trying to do is build a coalition of voters, you know, from from the Labour Party who are un upset with. Jeremy Corbyn's slightly wishy-washy position on Brexit and also that chunk of Conservative Remain voters who uh, do want to reverse the result of the referendum. And there are some of them and she's brought you know, about a third of them, a third of Conservative Remain voters over to her camp already. Hmm. 
And I think that also explains the strategy today about saying, I'm not going to put Jeremy Corbyn into Downing Street. Right. Because what you do see amongst those Conservative Remainers is a big chunk of voters who say, I want to remain in the European Union, but my God, I don't want Jeremy Corbyn in Downing Street. So she's trying to tread this fine path to make sure she's not alienating those people because in a lot of the seats she wants to win, she's, she's going to need their support. This is particularly interesting. I saw in some of your research that you've put out uh, as YouGov that more Labour voters think Corbyn is doing badly than doing well. Is that going to affect Labour when when we get to the ballot box. Yeah, the public's relationship with Jeremy Corbyn um, over his time as Labour leader has been interesting. He sort of made a very bad first impression, a very good second impression, and has made a fairly bad third impression again. So we saw when he first took over, low favourability ratings, this incredible surge in support for him, which we called Corbyn mania during the 2017 election campaign. But since then, since he was sort of singing on the stage in Glastonbury Festival, um, his numbers have started to drift downwards again, down and down, and they're now much lower than they ever have been before. So it'll be interesting to see, firstly, does that have an impact? It is one of the things that's driving voters away from the Labour Party and to parties like the Liberal Democrats. But also, is he going to be able to turn around his numbers in this election campaign like he did in the last election campaign? Not very many signs of that yet, but obviously still a few weeks So is that an age thing? Because we had all of this youth involvement with Corbyn. They're getting really into him. Grime for Corbyn, we're backing him. This time they've abandoned him. Was he a, a passing trend that people have forgotten about now? I think there's a there's a there's a general rule in in politics, and we'll see it if it's disproven that, that the souffle doesn't rise twice. It's very hard to recreate that level like of that. excitement a second time round when you've sort of be, been around for very many years, and that's kind of the challenge for Corbyn this time. The other thing, when you ask people who say they used to have a favourable view of Jeremy Corbyn and don't anymore. You literally ask them the question, why? The main response you get is to do with weakness, sort of indecisiveness, and particularly weakness and indecisiveness around this issue of Brexit. So I think the sort of difficulty of holding this middle position between remain and leave that he's tried to do over the past few years has been very difficult for him and his personal ratings. Ah, but I think that's very interesting. Look, uh, having tried to rise, as, get a souffle to rise once, I can tell you <laughs> that even doing that is pretty hard. Um, what about... Uh, Youth. I mean, we talked a lot about kind of young voters in this. I mean, what chances then, um, and also about the kind of number of political parties that there are fighting here. What about, you know, the outliers, the Greens, for example? Could we see some kind of surge there? I mean, Greta Thunberg has taken the world by storm. Well, I mean, by the standards of the Green Party, we kind of have seen a surge. Their vote share is over double what it was at the last election. And there's there's two reasons for that. Firstly, when we're asking the public what they think are the most important issues facing the country, the environment is up dramatically, hmm. sort of in response to the Greta Thunberg, in response to the protests that we've seen across London. Also, you know, in response to Attenborough, who seems to off, off, often have a massive impact on public opinion and the democracy, uh, the documentaries that he's been doing around the environment. So we have seen a surge in the importance of the environment in terms of the most important issues facing the country. The public now see it as being as important as the economy, which is an incredible wow. shift. So I think that will play more of an impact. And it is, does seem to be driving voters towards the Green Party and particularly young voters. So amongst the youngest voters, the environment is seen as the second most important issue now facing the country after Brexit. Not far behind Brexit either. And also you know, amongst 18 to 24s, the Green Party is on about 15%, which is, which is an incredible rise on the last election. And help me out here. This is a great question to ask a pollster. Another place we saw the Greens do very well was, of course, in the European elections. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of excitement over the Lib Dems, over the Brexit party. But of course, it's a different voting system and it's a different outcome. You're not choosing the person you want to put in number 10. You're sending a load of people off to the continent. How much can we apply what we learned back in those elections to what we might get in December? 
So it's very unlikely that the the overall levels of support for the parties are going to be the same as they were in those European Parliament elections. So you know, the, the Conservatives aren't going to fall to about 10% of the vote. We can, we can kind of write that off. But what I think that European election did give us some indication of is the types of places around the country where the different parties would do well. So we saw, for example, the Liberal Democrats doing very well in London in the European Parliament elections. Mm. And that's the kind of pattern we'd be expecting to be repeated, maybe to a different extent, but to be repeated in this general election. So we'll be looking to see what kind of seats the Lib Dems can gain in London. Seats like Kensington, potentially, which was very important last time around. Um, that, that's the kind of thing that, that, that we as pollsters draw from, from that European Parliament And if election. the Lib Dems do well in London, that is presumably at the detriment of the Labour Party. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, and, and the Labour Party has, has seen a dramatic fall off in their vote share in London, just like they have across the rest of the country. Um, is, is also, I mean, speaking of London, the big cities in the UK uh, uh, versus the kind of more rural areas, is that also a key kind of battleground in, in terms of political thinking? Uh, it, it seems so. I mean, um, most marginal seats in this country or a lot of marginal seats are towns. Yeah. So that's the real battlefield that we'll be seeing uh, play out. Now, on current polling, because Labour has lost so many of their votes since the last election, um, we'd be expecting the Conservatives to be making inroads into a lot of those seats. The exact number is sort of still something we're looking into and we'll hopefully have a, a better estimate of later on in the campaign. But but taking those, those sort of Labour-held seats. And what's interesting, we were talking about Nigel Farage's decision, of course. Obviously, Nigel Nigel Farage is still putting up candidates mm. in those kind of seats. So actually, and you know, he's got about two hours left to change his mind. So he's probably going to be putting up candidates in those uh, in those in those Labour held seats, those Labour held town seats, where the Conservatives would be hoping to gain those seats, and that would be making life a little bit more difficult for the Tories. There um, next week, just thinking ahead here, we've got uh, the the debates, the televised debates between the leaders, don't we? Does that make a difference to voters? Uh, you know. And does kind of obviously there's also the battleground social media versus traditional n- news formats. Yeah, it's quite a big de- uh, sort of a big debate <laughs> about yeah, the yeah. debates in yeah. uh, sort of the polling community about whether they make a difference. My view personally in the UK is that actually they do make a difference. Mm. And the few examples we have seen of significant television debates have often really added shape to the campaign. You remember yeah. back in 2010 when we had the first televised debates I in agree the with election Nick. campaign. I agree with Nick. We saw an incredible surge and it fell off again towards the end of the campaign, but we saw an incredible surge in support for the Liberal Democrats, which had a big impact on the general election campaign. Even if we think back to 2017, where we didn't have many television debates, and of course the Prime Minister didn't take part in those. No. Um, Actually, the, the polling, there's a lot of data to indicate that they people did change their mind and move towards the Labour Party off the back of, firstly, Theresa May not turning up, and secondly, quite an impressive performance by Jeremy Corbyn. So I do think they have the potential uh, to move the dial. It's definitely something that we're going to be watching out for next week. And of course, this is the first head-to-head debate mm. um, in a general election campaign in Britain. So we've got the two main party leaders, which will obviously be very exciting. Okay. There'll be a different shape to those seven-way debates that we that we saw last time. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers and innovators leading the way from design and culture to technology, science and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions. July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.